the Provoke Media Intersection series, brought to you by Provoke Media and Praytel, with production support from Marketeers. Welcome to Intersection. This is a video and podcast series that Provoke Media has embarked on in partnership with Praytel, in which we invite guests to have an open conversation about the ways creativity, media, technology intersect with DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion to ultimately transform behavior and norms. I'm Arthi Shaw, I'm executive editor at Provoke, and I'm the host for this series. Um, this is the third video in this series. Um, part one featured University of Texas professor and author S. Uh, Craig Wat- Watkins, and part two featured ACLU CCO Becky Edwards. And we'll link to both of those fantastic conversations in, in the show notes. Um, but today we have with us Mae Duvali, who is managing director of corporate communications at Goldman Sachs. Um, Last year, the New York Times profiled Maeve in a feature called Being Transgender at Goldman Sachs. And we'll talk a little bit about her journey and and also how organizations can um, kind of enable employees to sort of bring their whole selves to work. Um, We also have Maggie Lee from Praytel, who leads the firm's LGBTQ plus ERG group and is their senior creative producer. So welcome to the show, Maeve and and Maggie. Thank you very much for having me, Artie. Yeah, I'll try and get into my story a little bit in a condensed way. Um, I, I, for most of my life, I had no idea that I was transgender. There were, in retrospect, there were some signs. Um, I didn't really like anything masculine about myself. Um, But uh, in October of 2018, um, almost exactly two years ago, I had this sudden realization uh, that I was transgender and it really resonated in me and I stress tested and it was, it was kind of such a sudden and shocking realization. Um, but, uh, it just continued to grow upon me over time. And, um, and, uh, I knew I was transgender that I had wanted to be a woman all my life. And, uh, I set out on, uh, my course to, uh, transition, uh, almost immediately I felt comfortable being, um, open about being transgender in my personal life, but uh, for whatever reason at work, I was not comfortable. So there was this period of about six, seven, eight months where um, I would uh, come to work dressed in a suit and I would be Michael, and then uh, I would change into women's clothing on the way out of work and I would become Maeve. And uh, I think at the start of this, I found this kind of exhilarating, um, but um, over time, just the, the whole pressure of having two separate selves um, really began to bother me. And uh, at the beginning of 2019, I approached our human resources department at Goldman Sachs and said I wanted to come out. And I came out at the beginning of summer last year. I've had a great experience since then. I've been well-received at work. I've been well-received by my friends uh, outside of work. Um, I find New York City a very accepting place. And, um, and uh, you know, I just continue uh, on my journey of uh, transition. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, and again, I know that was, that was a very condensed version and, and in, in the show notes, we'll, we'll link to the, to, the full, to the full New York Times profile for those that, that, that haven't read it yet. Um, so a, a few things that I would want to start with, and that's, you know, what gave you the confidence at Goldman to, to, to come out? Like what, I, I mean, I know from just from the New York Times piece that there were a few other employees that had done so previously and had transitioned at work. 
Um, was it was it just sort of seeing the precedent, or were there other cultural elements that sort of made you feel like this would be um, a safe place to do that? Sure. Um, the, the immediate the immediate event that spurred my decision, I have to come out now, was a, a, a transgender panel that uh, happened at Goldman Sachs for Goldman Sachs employees, and uh, one of one of the members of the panel was uh, an out transgender woman, and we had two external people in, and they just talked about uh, transgender issues in the workplace, and I decided while I was watching that panel that I wanted to come out, um, and. You know, in the immediate aftermath of that, the, the support I received from our human resources department and uh, the managers in my division uh, made me feel very comfortable uh, with my decision to come out. And, uh, and um, I've had a very good experience since then. So if, if there's, if there's um, either agency leaders or corporate communications leaders that are, that are listening to this right now, what advice would you, would you give them around sort of creating a culture either on their teams or within their organizations so that people do feel safe um, and comfortable sort of, you know, coming out and, you know, and being, being their true selves? Yeah, so I, I talked, uh, b before I came out, I talked individually with, with people in my group. So I gave them the opportunity to ask me any questions that they had and uh, gave them an opportunity to educate themselves. Um, uh, on the day I came out, um, my manager sent out a big long message, um, including we have an initiative at Goldman Sachs to, to give everybody the opportunity to identify themselves using their own pronouns internally and externally. So uh, that was attached to my announcement. So there was there was a lot of education uh, that that went um, into this, and we spent a lot of time being thoughtful about who we had to tell beforehand. Um, because obviously my name's changing on a certain date, my appearance is changing on a certain date. So uh, we we gave we gave a lot of people, including reporters, because I work in corporate communications. Obviously, um, the reporter community is an important constituency for me. So we had to tell reporters, and that's why we we kind of knew that somebody might want to write a story about it. We didn't know who would want to write a story about it, and. Quite frankly, I was glad the New York Times did because they did a very tasteful uh, treatment of the subject, I thought. Um, so it's, it's just education, preparation, and, uh, and then just executing according to plan. It's what big organizations do all the time. Right. I mean, the, the piece about the external, I was going to ask you about the external stakeholders as well, because, you know, whether it's the media, which, you know, obviously those of us in, in this industry work with, and then also for those of us that have clients, right? I mean, there's also, there's also that component um, as well. Was there, was there anything notable in terms of the difference between um, educating and speaking internally versus externally? I think... People internally were naturally very supportive. Um, most of the reporters I told ahead of time were reporters I have a pretty close relationship with, so they, they were very supportive too. I, I think externally people had had um, didn't really know how Goldman Sachs was going to encourage or support me, so there were a lot of questions um, from reporters about that. So, well, I guess before I go to go to my next question, I was going to ask, you know, what is there anything that didn't go so well, or that you know, if you could do it over again, that you would do differently, or that you would have, 
you know, folks, you know, within Goldman or even outside of Goldman do differently? Well, the only thing I would have done differently is I would have come out earlier um, because I, until I came out at work, I didn't realize the psychological toll uh, not being out had on me. So um, I don't really second guess myself because it was only a period of seven or eight months, but um, I, I wish I would have come out at work earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Goldman was, has been supportive both, it sounds like, from an emotional perspective, but even from a financial perspective, it sounds like they, um, this is the way that their health insurance and stuff is, is, is structured. It sounds like there's, there's quite a bit of support for, for folks, especially as they go through this transition. What would you say to organizations that maybe don't have the resources that a Goldman has in terms of what they can do, even with sort of leaner, um, whether it's leaner budgets or leaner, whatever access they, they have to, to resources, that what, what, what is it that they can do? Sure, I might, I might broaden that question a little bit, re reframe it a little bit. Um, yeah, I had um, gender affirmation surgery three months ago, and it was pretty much fully covered by our health insurance. And uh, I had a I had very generous uh, medical leave. I was I was able to, the doctor recommended that I take three months off, and Goldman rented that um, with without you know they just they just did it. Um, and um, you know let's what's the right way to say this? But you know there are some there are some estimates that um, as many as one in two hundred people in this country um, are transgender. So it's not an insubstantial uh, part of the population. And uh, Goldman has very uh, good coverage for uh, transition, healthcare transition related issues. It's not perfect. Um, there's some things I'd, I'd like them to cover that they don't cover right now, but it's pretty good. Um, and if you look at Medicaid in most states, Medicaid in most states covers some of these basic surgeries that uh, transgender people are having. And these aren't just surgeries for surgery's sake. These are surgeries that, um, that, that fix something that fundamentally bothers um, a person and makes them feel better about themselves and makes them feel more like their authentic self. So it's, it's very, very important. So, um, you know, I, I think, um, we're moving in a direction where more and more places are covering these types of surgeries. And I think it's essential for um, anybody who wants to have this surgery to uh, have the ability to, to have this surgery covered. And, you know, I'm keenly aware that um, I work for a big organization and um, I feel very privileged that um, I've had this ability to, to get this really great uh, medical coverage from Goldman Sachs. And um, I, I would, if I have a chance, I would lobby for every place uh, to cover these types of transition related issues. Mm -hmm. I think from like, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Maggie, go ahead. <laughs> from like being in a smaller company, um, I think something that we probably have witnessed over the past six years of, it's been the fast growth of, of the company um, is that a lot of the time you're having to, instead of getting ahead on some of the more um, kind of uh, costly things, you might have to wait until someone, one, the one person at the agency raises their hand and says, I need this or something, whether that's, uh, you know, um, uh, like in, uh, in vitro, what's it called? Oh, yeah, IVF, <laughs> um, yeah, things like that. IVF, yeah. like 
thing mm -hmm. like there are like several things that I think over time at the agency we've run into like mm -hmm. oh this would be this is something that we should institute um, but a lot of the time it is someone raising their hand and that's been a policy at the agency is always like be a squeaky wheel raise a hand when you need something but I think now the conversation that we're having more and more is that we want to get ahead and kind of speak or kind of advocate on behalf of people before they have to advocate for themselves right when they need the thing. Um, so that's kind of, I think a great thing about employee resource groups is that focus on, because right now actually we have 26 people in our LGBTQ employee resource group and no one is um, out trans at least. Um, no one, no one, you know, identifies publicly at the company. Um, but I, we, we are, are talking to each other about like what, how can we get ahead and not be caught flat-footed when, you know, we hopefully have <laughs> a, a larger population of LGBTQ people um, who need different resources. Apologies if my internet is, I got a little notification that it's unstable. <laughs> yeah, we, right. It's actually, it's, it's actually. I, I think, I think that's an interesting point. Um, and, uh, you know, there were certain companies that have um, state-of-the-art um, medical policies, you know, it, it's not just the surgeries, it's, it's hormone treatment, it's the surgeries, um, hair removal, some people get uh, facial feminization surgery, so there's a lot of different um, procedures that people undergo, and I, I totally agree with you, and, and it, would be, it would be great if we could just look at the real leaders in this field and emulate those. However, I will tell you that that kind of ad hoc and somebody raising their hand, you know, that's okay too. Um, because uh, Goldman Sachs hasn't had a lot of experience with transgender employees and each person's journey is so personalized and different that um, each time uh, they, the company goes through this with one person, they get better at doing it. So um, I think Goldman Sachs is getting pretty good at doing it. And, uh, and, you know, that learning experience on the part of the corporation is, is very, very important. So, you know, this point about raising your hand, right? I feel like, you know, when we were at a 3% unemployment rate and it was very much an employee's market, it, it seemed like there was more um, confidence and, and, and also from, you know, both from employees speaking out and also from management being more receptive. Um, it's been interesting as we've kind of gone into this recession, I've had conversations with agency leaders, not all, like, you know, some of them have been amazing, but some have been a little less empathetic, I want to say, knowing that, like, you know, that, that they have a little bit more leverage right now. Um, so how do we protect this idea, this, this culture of being your authentic self, being able to speak out and advocate for yourself? How do we protect this at times when you know, we're in a recession and, you know, some, some employers will feel like they, you know, have a little bit more leverage than they did during, during um, kind of the boom times. Sure. Well, if companies have good policies, those policies persist um, at any time. As I, as I mentioned earlier, um, I had uh, gender affirmation surgery in June, right at the, the height of the crisis. Incidentally, it was postponed because um, elective surgeries in New York were um, not taking place for a period of uh, three months or so. It was postponed, but it happened soon after it was originally scheduled. And I'm actually scheduled to get another surgery a little bit later this year. So um, we have policies in place and those policies work. Um, 
I, I think, and, and this doesn't apply just to what we're talking about now, but the key for me during this whole pandemic is connectivity to the outside world. And um, it's not just Zoom work calls, it's just picking up the phone and talking to your colleagues at work, talking to people in your support network, talking to family, and really putting in the time to do that. And um, you know, you're educating people, you're connecting with people, and, and that's so important at a time when many of us are quarantined in these confined spaces inside. So um, c connectivity to me is, is just the key here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a, sorry Maggie, I'm just gonna point out that, that, um, that that's an excellent point about sort of formalizing these things as policies rather than just having them be sort of these intangible, softer cultural components. Um, and Maggie, did you wanna add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think like the, you know, this crisis is putting a lot of pressure on different people in, in different ways. And I think obviously, historically, the people in power find ways to make, to make it work for them and make their business thrive still or whatever. But I think right now, especially with different movements popping up, I think the whole message coming through with that is that, you know, if, as long as there's groups of people kind of teaming together and making sure that it's not just one person having to, you know, stand up for themselves and being told we don't like you're you're being the one squeaky wheel so we could find someone who's not a squeaky wheel. Um, if there's a whole network of people and you're connected with other people at the company who who are recognizing the challenges that everyone's facing, then I think it puts it, it just makes it more, you know, there have to be policies rather than it's a, an elective thing that whoever's in power gets to decide. Right. Yeah, and I think the Which ERGs are a great point, right? Because then, you, then you then you'd have your network right there, right? Um, so you know, I guess on on that note, and, and similar thing I would ask about is, you know, how do we balance the the sort of other factors, um, class, um, even even seniority at an organization? I mean, someone who's a junior level employee, and I think Maggie, you and I spoke yesterday a little bit about this. If you're a junior level employee at an organization, how do you feel empowered? Um, to sort of come out or so, you know, to, to bring, you know, your true self to work. And then also, you know, there's risk factors for folks, um, you know, that are also part of other marginalized communities. For instance, people of color may face um, backlash that maybe a white employee wouldn't face. So how do we balance some of these, um, you know, other factors that play into to people being able to, to speak out? Yeah, first of all, um, I want to acknowledge that I was, I was very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. I've been at Goldman Sachs for a very long time. I'm relatively senior. I know all the senior people in the company and uh, most of them personally congratulated me um, when the New York Times story came out. Uh, but, you know, I'll tell you, we have um, some very young transgender people at Goldman Sachs and um, they reach out to me all the time and, and ask me for advice. So um, just getting people who've been through this before in a more senior um, than you to mentor you on the process. And I never tell, you know, everybody's journey is different. I never tell anybody um, what to do. I, I share my experience. I answer questions and um, I try to educate them on the environment at Goldman Sachs and, and then they can make an informed decision, hopefully by talking to other people um, besides me. So, uh, that's that's very important. Um, you reminded me when you when you talked about people of color. 
you know, it was very interesting this year because during, um, during Pride Month, it was a very different type of Pride Month for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, we couldn't really go out and celebrate. Um, you know, the Pride Parade in New York City is just, just crazy. It's just a really, really good time. But um, we couldn't do that this year. And then the, the other factor is the whole Black Lives Matters movement was going on. So, you know, realizing the privileged background I come from, um, I spent a lot of time this year trying to educate myself about um, some of the people of color uh, who were leaders in the early transgender movement. So that, that intersection of Black Lives Matters and pride um, was just very, very interesting this year. And it was very, very educational. And, and that was very new. Um, and that was all happening during the pandemic. So, you know, really good things can still happen, even though this isn't really the greatest time for mankind. Yeah. I think, Maeve, the way that you've been so publicly and um, public and open to your coworkers and to just beyond Goldman has been probably something that's allowed other people at Goldman to feel, to be like, okay, here's, you know, the ceiling of how much I can be my authentic self too, or not even the ceiling, you know, because you're, you're still there, you're still pushing for things. Um, and I think that is, is something that probably like, you know, a 22 year old entry level employee at any workplace, if they see other people at the workplace, um, especially senior level people um, being public about their identity and their authentic self, then that's just like, that's a, that's just a powerful thing. I think that was something for me, at least I, I was at um, Praytel for four years before I came out. And I don't even know how it took me that long there because there are so many other queer people um, at the agency that like are just so authentically themselves. When I came out, I knew I would just, I would have a network every day when I came to work who, who would like kind of teach me, right. teach me the ways, <laughs> you know. It's amazing. I mean, how, powerful it seems to be to have folks you know if you to see it you have to to be it you have to see it sort of thing um to to sort of you know have those those leaders and i think maybe one of the questions i, I had for you on on the back of that was to your point about every journey is different i mean how do you sort of respect people's boundaries or privacy or you know however comfortable they are um in in being open about their 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 situation um, while still sort of kind of mentoring and, and being a leader, I, I, I'm comparing this to a conversation that, you know, I've had with, with Black employees that sometimes feel like they are just kind of pulled into every TE&I committee and like, you know, please, you know, educate us. And some of them are comfortable in that position and others are not. And so, right. you, know, what, what, you know, what advice would you give on, on sort of, you know, having being a role model, but also sort of meeting people where they're at. So that's a, that's a very good question. I, I think you have to read people's body language. Um, you have to always ask permission if, if you're going to do anything, because you just don't know sometimes how private a person wants to be. I have a fairly extensive network of transgender uh, friends and colleagues across the country, and I'm often making introductions between people that I think can help each other. Um, so just assuming that everybody wants to be private until they tell you otherwise. Um, that's, that's the most important thing. And I also want to pick up on something um, Maggie was just talking about in terms of, um, in terms of mentoring people. 
in, you know, around the time I was making my decision to come out, I got a lot of advice. A lot of people helped me. And so uh, I feel that I have a responsibility to help other people. And um, the, the, the really nice thing about the New York Times story for me, the most fulfilling thing about the New York Times story for me, it um, put me on the radar screen of, of people in who want to get into corporate America, who want to get uh, kids in college who uh, are transgender and are, aren't sure when they get hired by a financial services firm whether they want to be out or not, or people in corporate America who are at a more advanced stage in their career and want to come out, but they're a little bit hesitant to do that. So um, as a result of the publicity I got from the New York Times story, um, I have a lot of people coming to me and asking for, for that type of advice, and I find it very fulfilling, and I feel like I have a responsibility to kind of pass my experience on to them, and hopefully someday they'll pass their experience on to other people. One thing we've run into with the, the ERGs is that the ERG at um, Pratel is that, uh, especially during COVID right now, it's sort of this like at work, my, people might be more out at work than they are at home in their personal lives. So this kind of like reverse thing right now where like, <clears throat> especially with like maybe a 22 year old who moved home to their parents right now during everything, um, you know, financially, for financial reasons or for, you know, just to be closer to their family, uh, is taking calls from a place where maybe they aren't, aren't out and the, they might want to be out in the ERG, they might not want to be out to the full company, they might, it's like this, this balance of inclusivity and exclusivity of the ERGs that we're kind of navigating. Um, even with, you know, maybe our, our CEO is like, you know, the, a very friendly and like everyone knows him, everyone has an open door to his his office and can talk to him anytime and he wanted to maybe pop in and, and talk to the ERG at one point um, fully good intentions and I was still sort of like I don't know that everyone in the ERG wants to be that that openly out um, so it's just kind of yeah the asking permission thing like you were saying earlier is very important I think yeah. I kind of read, read in the room that's an yep. excellent, excellent point, right? I mean, you have folks and some, I mean, they could be a member of an ERG and they may not be, they want, may not want to be out to the rest of the organization. Um, and then also, like you, I think you raised an excellent point about people's living situations are very different right now. People, you know, they might be, like you said, living with parents or families that um, may not even be aware of their journey. And then, you know, that's the other piece of it that, you know, we are all in markets that are fairly progressive. I know Maggie and I are based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Maybe you're in, in New York and there are, you know, people that are probably listening to this that are not so sure how receptive their organizations will be, especially if they're in a market that may not, um, they, they just, they may, they may not be as open or as, as um, inclusive around this issue. Any thoughts around kind of what advice you would give for people that are not, you know, in New York or San Francisco, or maybe work in an industry or sector that may be, um, I mean, you know, that may not be as open. Sure. Um, first of all, I'm very fortunate to be in New York. What I say, like to say about New York is it's a very um, kind of uh, open and accepting place. But the other, the other, the other thing that really works well about New York is people are so self-absorbed. So, you know, I might see somebody kind of looking at me on a train and, like I, I can, I can tell when people are like thinking, like, what's what's her story? And but you know, you'll only get that look for thirty seconds mm -hmm. or so, and then someone in New York will go back to doing whatever they were doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. But 
you, you know, your point is uh, well taken. And I, I think in, in places where um, being openly transgender may not be as accepted by society as it is in a place like San Francisco or New York, I think people just have to um, just tread more cautiously, um, you know, take more time, be more thoughtful, um, get more advice. Um, and and I, I have people who are in contact with me who are in uh, places in the South where they're a little bit concerned. But I, I also know people in some of those places who are completely out. So it's it's not like you can't do it. You just have to be thoughtful um, about the way you do it. So one last question that I have is, you know, what what's next? Like, so what what would you like to see happen around this movement, both, you know, for, I mean, both on a bigger social level um, and then also sort of, you know, at, at organizations like what, you know, at, at you know, I, I mean, obviously not all organizations are in the same place as Goldman is, but like even at Goldman, like what would what would what would be the next step here? Um, organizationally, and then what would you like to see happen like on a, on a society level? Yeah, at Goldman, um, I think the goal is simple. Any, anyone who's transgender and is thinking of coming out, um, we'd like the environment to be such that they feel comfortable coming out. And uh, I, I, I have to believe, um, knowing what I know about how many people are uh, out right now and you know, those numbers that I gave you, the percentage of the population that's that's likely transgender, that there are people at Goldman Sachs who are transgender who aren't comfortable being out. And uh, I, I would like them to feel comfortable going out. So anything we can do to make that happen, uh, that's what I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see, from a societal basis, I'd like to see uh, all the uh, physical attributes that... Um, most transgender people want to go through the surgeries, hormones. I'd like it to be medically available. Um, I, I think societies, our society is moving in the right direction in terms of acceptance of transgender people, but um, we're certainly not there yet, and there are regional differences across the country. So I think it's important for, for people like me who've been very uh, fortunate um, to, 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 to come out um, where we are to uh, lend a voice to it and uh, and actually get involved in organizations that can make that happen. Well, thank you, Maeve. It's great. It's such a pleasure to, to talk with you and to hear your story and to hear your perspective. Um, and thank you, Maggie, for bringing um, that perspective as well. Um, yeah, this is a, a hugely important topic, and I'm glad that we were able able to, to kind of talk about it even, even as much as we could in 30 minutes. Um, so th this has been another episode of the Intersection um, web, web, I guess it's a webcast, um, audio uh, podcast and video series. And we will be back soon with another episode. Thank you for listening to the Provoke Media Intersection series brought to you by Provoke Media and Pray Tell with production support from Marketeers.